I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. HGF MET neurotrophic system plays a critical role in the maintenance and repair of connections in the brain. Enhanced signaling along this pathway has the potential to reduce inflammation, slow neurodegeneration, and provide neuroprotection. Atherapharma is pursuing small molecule drugs that target this pathway to address a range of neurodegenerative conditions. The company is currently conducting a phase 2-3 study of its lead therapeutic candidate, phosgonometin, in mild to moderate Alzheimer's disease. But the study comes after the experimental therapy failed to meet its primary endpoint in a phase 2 study in Alzheimer's and a phase 2 study in Parkinson's disease dementia and dementia with Lewy bodies. We spoke to Rachel Lennington, Chief Operating Officer for Athera Pharma, about the case for targeting the HGF-MET neurotrophic system in neurodegenerative diseases, how its experimental therapy, phosgonometin, works, and why it's continuing to pursue the therapy despite earlier failures. Rachel, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Danny. We're going to talk about Alzheimer's, Athera, and its efforts to develop a treatment for Alzheimer's and other neurodegenerative diseases. Let's start with Alzheimer's though. How big a need is there for new therapeutics? There's a huge unmet need today. Uh, there is definitely a need for new therapies. There's not been a lot of progress in this space. Well, there's been more recently um, and there's only really now three classes of drugs to treat Alzheimer's disease. And if you compare that to something like you know, cancer treatments where there's so many for any given disease, there's really a need for innovation. And um, in today, 6.7 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's. Given the need and the investment we've seen in this area, why has this been such a, a difficult disease to develop new treatments for? That is a really good question. And um, having worked across many therapeutic areas in my career, I am struck by how hard neurodegeneration is and how, the, how hard this space is. You know, memory and cognition and activities of daily living, just the, your, who you are and how you work, it's a pretty subjective um, situation. And some of these measures that are, are done um, are very subjective. Um, you know, these measures of cognition, these measures of activities of daily living. And so they're, they're pretty variable and they require long and big studies to see uh, differences. I think that's been part of it. Uh, I think there's been a lot of advancements in biomarkers lately, and it's making a big difference and making it a little bit easier to study. And if you think about the um, recent approvals, these um, amyloid uh, beta, anti-amyloid beta antibodies, um, they were able to get their first approval because of reduction of this measure of amyloid beta itself. 
rather than the cognitive and activities of daily living measure. Later, they came back with bigger studies to prove that. Um, but I think advancements in technology is, have helped this and are going to make it easier in the future as well. Most of the focus on drug development has been around beta amyloid and, and Dow. How problematic has that been? And, and how much of an extent is the issue at which we're actually treating patients? Are we just getting them too late in the progression of the disease to have a meaningful effect? It's it's a challenge because, you know, I think that um, the the focus on uh, on on A-beta and uh, P-tau, the tau tangles, it's really been a huge focus of the research community. And um, it makes sense. It's been hard. It's been hard to tackle, but it's also sort of excluded uh, different approaches. And um, and so I think that what we've seen, even with the studies that have read out, the very large studies, for instance, from Azai and uh, Lilly, is that patients are still declining. So while they may be clearing the amyloid, they are not, you know, it's not curing the disease. So clearly more is at play when it comes to Alzheimer's and dementia and neurodegeneration than just uh, than just the um, A-beta and the, the P-tau. What would you say the case is for new approaches? Well, I think there's lots of components of, of, of these diseases, right? That the protein pathology is one, but there's also inflammation, there's excitotoxicity, there's a whole variety of cascades that kind of create a, an environment around the neuron, which is really, this is about the neurons and the disconnection that happens. Um, so, so there's a case to be made that other approaches that kind of tackle other elements of this cascade can really make a positive difference. And it, eventually it may be that those are in combination. Again, if you think about um, cancer therapeutics, there's a lot of combination therapy because it's not just one thing, it's many. And and I see that as a future for uh, this field as well. A theorist focused on the HGF MET pathway and developing modulators that could enhance the activity of this pathway. What does this pathway do and what is it implicated in with regards to Alzheimer's disease? The HGF, uh, the neurotrophic HGF system uh, has been researched for 30 years, and it definitely has, there has been an understanding that has a, um, a uh, sort of multimodal effect. And it, it is a signaling system, so it is, it is activated, and it promotes, uh, it, promotes uh, it, it promotes the reduction of inflammation, um, regeneration, neuroprotection, and um, and also we've seen in our preclinical models that it also reduces protein pathology. And so it really is a natural system that your body is using every day. And what we're trying to do is help make those neurons healthier, and then they're better able to, um, to battle the disease. As you think about structuring a clinical trial for a drug that targets this pathway, are there challenges in doing that? Would you use the same endpoints that would be used in any Alzheimer's clinical trial? Do you have to think differently about the endpoints? So one of the one of the things to think about, first of all, is the patient population. So um, the recent studies in Alzheimer's have been in this earlier stage of, of the disease, mild cognitive impairment or or mild AD. And um, 
those studies have been 18 months long, you know, 1800 patients in duration because those patients are declining, but declining very slowly. So one of the things that we very intentionally did was pick a um, more advanced population. So mild Alzheimer's to moderate Alzheimer's disease. And actually that's where 85% of patients are diagnosed today. And so that's really where there's an unmet need. And those studies, historically, those studies in this patient population have been six months long, so they're a little bit shorter. And then the measures that you're using are um, cognition and function. So cognition is me measured by a, by a measure called ADAS-COG, and then function is um, measured by a, a score called activities of daily living. So, um, so we designed our uh, phase two, three lift AD study that's ongoing right now and um, we'll be reading out in the second half of 2024. Um, we designed that study with that in mind. So six months duration, a measure of cognition and function because you want to improve both. Your lead experimental therapy is phosgonimentin. What is that and, and how does it work? So phosgonimentin or phosgo for short um, is a, uh, is an HGF positive modulator. So it upregulates the um, HGF signaling system so that again, it can, can help reduce inflammation, promote neuroprotection, potentially uh, reduce protein pathology, and, um, and generally create a healthier environment uh, for, the, for your cells. Your phase two study failed to reach statistical significance in the primary endpoint. Can you explain what endpoints you used and why the company found reason to push forward despite that data? Thanks for the question. Um, the, the endpoints used in that small 77-person study was actually a electrophysiology endpoint. It was It's called ERP P300 latency, and it is a measure of brain processing speed. We had used that in our phase one study, and we'd seen some remarkable effects. And we thought this would be a nice way to more rapidly translate uh, what we were seeing in the, in the phase one into some type of phase two and get a sense of how the drug worked. So it's not a typical uh, Alzheimer's endpoint, actually. Um, it was more of a translational tool, and it's one that we realized works better in a single site. Um, and still has utility, but maybe not when you take it to multiple centers. So that was part of the, the reason this, so that was the endpoint. Um, what we did learn in this study, and that's the thing with clinical research, it's never really a straight line, um, was that we had, we appeared to have an interaction with, um, with another drug that many of the patients were taking. In the group of patients that were just on FOSGO, we had a, a really nice effect on cognition as well as function, uh, but the study was so small that it was not statistically significant. So why did we continue? I think that's the second part of your study, of your question. We had, um, we had another study that was ongoing, and um, what we did is we, we had an unblinded interim analysis with an independent committee take a look and tell us whether or not it was worth continuing and whether we had a high probability of being successful with continuing the study. So basically they looked at the first hundred patients who had finished the study and their answer back to us was keep going. And if the next 200 or so patients do as well as the first hundred, 
you should be statistically significant and uh, be well powered to be statistically significant with the outcome. So um, that, that kept us going and uh, we continued enrollment and just completed that at the beginning of this year and expect for the study to read out in the second half of 2024. And would that be considered a pivotal study? Um, you know, everything is data dependent. Uh, it's, a, it's a phase two, three study. And uh, we have all the endpoints that the FDA has told us that they care about, which includes this ADES cog measure or this measure of cognition, as well as this measure of function, uh, which is ADL, activities of daily living. So you, you've also looked at using FOSGO in Parkinson's disease. I know at the end of December, you reported on results that also failed to reach the clinical endpoint, although there was statistically significant findings in that study. What happened there? So we actually, um, that study was intended to be about 75 patients. Um, we stopped enrolling it around 28 because we wanted to focus our resources on the Alzheimer's uh, program. And so uh, we actually knew going into that study that we were not um, going to be powered to, um, to meet the primary endpoint, which was also that ERP P300 latency, that measure of brain uh, processing speed. And, um, and so, we, so we stopped that early. We, and we allowed the patients to finish the study. There was, and, we, um, and we wanted to see what we could learn. One of the things that we're really excited about is in Parkinson's disease in our preclinical models, we're having quite um, interesting effects both on the uh, motor symptoms, but as well as alpha-synuclein, uh, which is the protein that's implicated in a lot of Parkinson's disease. And so the study we had designed was focused on cognition, not on Parkinson's overall. And what we really wanna do is explore the potential for HGF positive modulation in Parkinson's overall, not just in, in cognition. But we did have some interesting results in, in cognition. And we did see in our 40 milligram dose that all of the patients uh, treated with that improved uh, with their cognitive measures. So um, that gave us a lot of, uh, you know, again, small data sets, but uh, some consistent results that uh, are encouraging as we think, as we move towards our, our phase two, three LIFT study. The company is pursuing other potential therapies. Do they all target the same pathway or are you looking at other approaches? Uh, we are focused on the neurotrophic HDF pathway right now. Um, it also, we have um, a really uh, exciting uh, molecule called ATH1105. This one is oral. It's our second generation molecule. This is for ALS? For ALS, yes. And uh, we recently had our, uh, our preclinical manuscript uh, published, and um, we've seen some really uh, profound effects in these um, mouse models of ALS, where uh, we're able to extend survival, we're able to improve motor benefits, we are able to, um, you know, the, the mice maintain their weight, um, all, all the sort of uh, elements of things you would care about in ALS, we're able to show some, some really nice effects in um, pretty aggressive uh, preclinical models. When do you hope to be in the clinic with that if all goes well? Uh, we're hoping to be in the clinic in the, in the first half of this year. Athera went public in 2020 and raised about 200 million. It's, it's been a tough time to be a, a public biotech. 
the IPO came at 17 a share and the stock has traded as high as 34, although today it's trading around $3 a share and the market cap's a, a little over $100 million. What's the conversation with shareholders like? Drug development in general, as you know, is 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 high risk. And then you go into Alzheimer's. That's one of uh, and and uh, and dementia. That's a place where there's been been a lot of failures. But um, there's an understanding about the potential for this. And so when we've been talking to investors, um, they're really excited about the the lift data and that second half of 2024. Um, and we're starting to really have some great conversations with them, helping to understand the mechanism. It is different. I mean, if we were focused on a beta or a tau, the conversation would be pretty easy. People are pretty bought into that. Uh, the neurotropic HGF pathway is something new. So they're getting educated and uh, starting to understand it. So we're, we're having some really good conversations. You know, the last, as you mentioned, the, um, the markets here have not been it's been hard. It's been a hard time to be a, a public biotech. Uh, but, you know, we're lucky because we have the resources to be able to continue all of these studies through their inflection points. So we're, we're in good, good condition there. And, um, and, you know, with the interest rates as they were, you know, in investing in other things was a little bit more interesting. But, you know, I think we've seen a, a, some, some good progress in is we enter 2024 uh, just in general for biotechs and uh, and a lot of interest in what's going on with Athera. How far will existing cash take you and what's the plan for raising additional capital? Yeah, we haven't we haven't commented on how far it will go, but uh, we do have one hundred and fifty million dollars uh, approximately um, at the uh, at the end of last year. And so um, so we're in good we're in a, a good position to um, read through to lift and then um, and and to go beyond it. So um, so we have we have money to take us there, and obviously we will we will at some point raise money. Um, you know there is opportunities to do that through the public markets, through partnering, and um, and we're exploring all options. Rachel Lennington, Chief Operating Officer of Athera Pharma. Rachel, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.